0: Hey there, uh, hello, I'm um, I'm back, I didn't know when I'd be back, because I don't always know when I have something to say, but I've got something to say today, so now's as good a day as any to begin the Unhindered Podcast for 2024. Um, well, an update from what's been happening over the last, well since we've spoken really, and that is I've just been... Uh, headlong into the book writing project. I don't know when you hear people say they write books, how what you imagine it's like. I don't know what it's like for anybody else. Maybe it is all skittles and rainbows sitting in your office, di, 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 di. writing, writing, writing. Maybe it comes easy for some. That hasn't been my experience. It's bloody hard, torturous at some at some point, trying to say something that is difficult to communicate and saying it in a way that makes it easy for people to understand there's a real art to it and uh the process of refining it and saying it better and clearer and cleaner and crisper and every time i've read through that book i've thought i could say that better i don't know what he was i was even talking about there let me rewrite that and it goes on and on and on the polish never continues and so at some point it's polished enough and you might not even be able to tell the difference uh so better just get it out there and then there's the process of cover designs and blurbs and all the bits and bobs around how a book comes to life so oh, it's it's been brutal and you know meaningful suffering because obviously i think it's my work and what i'm supposed to do but not particularly enjoyable and so i actually sent it off to typeset i've got the cover artwork all done so it's it's that's how it's coming out. It's done, so you'll receive it shortly if you've pre-ordered. You can still make pre-orders. I'm offering a very generous 10% off. I know not, not no real incentive, but you know a man's got to make a living. So if 10% doesn't sound particularly enticing, you could just wait till it comes out. I've advertised on uh, the publishing website. that will be the 1st of March, but you might it might be earlier if all things are considered and. and continue to go according to plan but look what i wanted to do is just read something that i've written in the book and uh that might just whet your whistle for wanting to lean in to more about this concept because it's it's a difficult concept to explain in fact uh i was going to say almost invariably but i'd say no no every time I've gone to explain this idea of what the difference between discipline and permission. It doesn't it's not a concept that comes natural to people. So the, the conversations are often strange strange and strained about this. So what I feel people's most common way of thinking about self-permission is still self-discipline just with a slightly different hat on. So it's like, "Oh, hey, I mean, I can just I get it. I get it. It's just be more kind to yourself. I get it. It's um you know, and, and really stop you know, trying to work so hard and push yourself all the time. Just give yourself permission to be relaxed and happy and enjoy life and smell the roses. That's what this is about. I can do that. Yeah, well, maybe you can do that. Maybe you can't. But that's not what I'm talking about. And, and that is, it's still managing yourself. You're still forcing yourself to do the thing that doesn't come naturally to you. You're still not relaxing into your own natural ability. live and there's no real conversation happening around that you're just guessing you're still dominating everything from your conscious mind you're trying to imagine what a happy person should do and kind of behave like that so let me read something i've written to you as a way of trying to explain what i mean when i talk about the self-permission method because i think it it is definitely an upgrade it is a beautiful way forward But like anything, you can't think new thoughts about a subject without a new framework to hang those new thoughts on. So let me give you some structure that hopefully will help you contemplate what I'm talking about. Permission must be granted. Perhaps the most important concept in this entire book is that permission always comes with prerequisites. Here it is in a sentence. Permission is only granted when all required conditions are satisfied. Self-permission is no different. Just like the child cannot just give themselves permission to go to the toilet or the party without the adults agreeing, so you cannot just give yourself permission to be happy or successful without first being released to do so by your internal safety officer. There are conditions to be satisfied first. An example. A student asks a teacher, Miss, can I go to the toilet? The teacher says, Not yet, you haven't finished your maths work. When you've done that, sure. The kid says to Dad, Dad, can I go to the party on the weekend? Dad says, no, not until you've mown the lawn. When you do that, I suppose you can. Discipline, sorry, permission always has prerequisites. To override the rules or ignore the conditions and just do it anyway always ends badly. I often hear people misuse the term self-permission in this way. You cannot simply give yourself permission to rest, not care what others think about you and move confidently into the thing you want to do with your life, when your whole strategy for life is built on a childhood operating system with a bunch of critical safety concerns, unable to sustain your adult goals. If your concept of self-permission is still a form of managing yourself to override your common fears, dysfunctions and patterns of poor behaviour, then you've completely misunderstood how this works. This is still self-discipline energy. You still do not trust your nature. You still are afraid that the worst part of you will take over and ruin your life if you are not careful. True self-permission is granted from your unconscious as soon as you satisfy the safety concerns, not forced from the conscious mind trying to get you to move ahead no matter what the cost. Granted, the term is easily misunderstood, but the essence of self-permission is responsible safety. Your success must also be safe. Until your internal world is safe, your instinctive need for safety will show up as resistance and a strong no. You will have to fight against this safety mechanism to make any progress. If you are some kind of superhuman, or if you still have the abundant energy of youth, you may succeed momentarily, but in every other case, it is pure madness to imagine this is a sustainable plan for a successful life. Again, let me make this as simple as possible, permission to move forward in to the life you desire is granted from the unconscious when the safety concerns of your current internal operating system have been completely addressed and upgraded. Do you have permission? To get you started down this line of thinking, take a moment to ask these counterintuitive questions of yourself. If you are trying to lose weight, do you have permission to be attractive? If you are trying to promote yourself, do you have permission to stand out? If you are trying to share your message, do you have permission to speak up? If you are trying to improve your financial situation, do you have permission to be wealthy? If you are trying to stop working so hard, do you have permission to rest? If you are trying to find a partner, do you have permission to be in a romantic relationship or fall in love? If the answer is no, then no matter how hard you push yourself to get these things anyway, you will always be internally resisted. Until you address the significant safety concerns with getting the things you desire, permission will be lovingly denied. Thankfully, these safety concerns are entirely predictable. How's that, eh? That, that got you intrigued? Uh, I'm excited to release this. I'm still doing a bunch of book tours around the country, as I've advertised before. If you'd like to host me, I'll uh, be travelling mainly up the east coast of Australia first. Uh, starting in Goulburn, heading to Sydney, Newcastle, uh, and then up the East Coast into Queensland. So if you are in those areas and you'd like me to stop in your lounge room along the way, you've got some friends or family that'd be willing to host me, have a conversation around what this self-permission method could mean for them. Uh, And we can have some food. You can have some musician friends that want to play a little ditty to entertain folks as well. Let's have some fun. So reach out if you are keen to do something like that, and uh, yeah, and be patient, it's coming. I'm also going to do the audiobook, which look I'm not looking forward to, just on the quiet. Every time, every time, the last two times I've recorded an audiobook, two of the hardest days' work of my life, just to bitch and moan uh, for a little minute. It's, it's uh, <laughs> but people love audiobooks, so I love audiobooks, so I'll get an audiobook out to you as well about the same time. Uh, but the paperback's done for now. Right. Uh, and also, I'm I'm doing group coaching around the self-permission method for the first time. I always get encouraged to do group coaching and I think uh, I'm not sure anyone wants to bear their dirty laundry in a group setting. But I think this method is a little different. I think you can you can benefit from a conversation with others in a similar spot around this. I think there'll be value added. Um, and it's certainly the cheapest way you can access me as coach. So, so I don't like locking people out of help if they can't afford it. So a group coaching still has me. you've got direct access to me, the ability to ask questions, have questions answered, um, you know run your specific experience through the framework and get feedback. Uh, otherwise you know there's always the opportunity to have one-on-one coaching with me and I fast track you through this process. right. yeah onto to Australia day. Um, so, as an extended family, one of our um, long running traditions has been a, a family bike ride, typically around Lake Jininderra or Burley Griffin. Let's let's say Burley Griffin in Canberra, and um, you know up to forty of the extended family come from around the country each year to do that. Uh, this year we've had some family move, and so we're hosting, and um, we're mapping out a course well well the invitation invitation out to the family and then um for the first time we got a reply back from a, a certain family member that said they they can't come this year um not because there's anything else on but they just can't be part of celebrating australia day anymore it's not it's not appropriate to to celebrate a national pride on invasion day they're not they're not Torres Strait Islander, Aboriginal, First Nations, Indigenous Australians, but but they feel so strongly about that cause that they think they, they are, whatever else is happening for our family, they, they just can't be part of it. And so, you know, each to their own, right? Everyone's got to live by the convictions of their heart. But it, it got me thinking to go, okay, um, like I'm, I'm a coach. right? Well, I'm an author, writer. And then I'm a coach. When I get to take the content, the concepts I've written about, then the most effective I could be with any of these concepts is to bring them inside a coaching frame because then you get to have a clean conversation. So I always get to have conversations with people as coach that are just so dangerous, so vulnerable, so difficult, so awkward, so untouchable in every single other context. But in the coaching frame, swing away. You know, I, I talk to people who have had significant trauma and abuse and misfortune and great difficulty and, and they're bringing fragile subjects to the table that they are already embarrassed about, that they have a bunch of shame around, that others never know what to do with if they bring it, bring up and so don't talk about it. And so and that's the very first thing. It's the only thing I want to talk about. Let's go straight into the messy stuff. Let's go straight into the conversations you can't have anywhere else because I don't care. Like I'm not invested. I don't need you to be different. I'm just interested in serving you to get more of what you want so with that in mind swing away let's have the difficult conversation and so it's incredible how once a person comes to terms with that frame and brings their untouchable or fragile subject how quickly you can make sense of it when you can talk about it objectively so i you know i think coaching is primarily orientated around outcomes you know what do you want what are you trying to achieve It's not just, let's talk about something. It's, let's see if we can move somewhere. Let's see if we can improve something. Let's see if we can get an outcome that's desirable. So let's see if we can make things better. Let's see if we can bring order out of chaos. So uh, for the family members who couldn't come to Australia Day because of their convictions, I thought, well, okay. So, you know, the, the assumption would be they're trying to do something meaningful. My question, if I was putting my coaching hat on, would be, well, but is it actually doing anything useful? Does it actually work? Is that a practical solution to the problem that they see? I don't really know, but I'm curious to examine it. So uh, that's what I've been doing for the last few days, just thinking about uh, how to be useful, how to solve a problem. What is the problem that is 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 trying to be solved. And from what I can understand, it seems like the main problem is that uh, for Indigenous Australians, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people, First Nations Australians, it seems like um, January 26th, which commemorates the day when uh, Captain Arthur Phillip put a flag up, raised the Union Jack in Sydney Cove to commemorate the beginnings of a, a colony, a British colony, and he did it without permission from the people who are already here, but said, "Look, uh, here's what's happening, folks. We're here now, and, and we're here to stay. We're, we're building a, a colony." And so it was an invasion day. Um, some call it a survival day. And so when when the nation celebrates pride for being Australia on a day that is also the same day that represents a lot of heartache and injustice for a you know a small percentage of australians then it seems like why would you do that why would you celebrate australia day on that day that's unfair and unkind so so then the 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 seeming solution is change the day Um, i saw our australian cricket captain pat cummins came out this week and he simply posted change the date so uh, you know that seems like the solution to the problem but but Work with me here and and step into the coaching frame with me. So let's not uh, assume what one is right or wrong. Let's not assume anything. Let's just have a look. Let's just see what we can discover together. So coaching is all about outcomes, but not just outcomes. It's better than that. They're they're well-formed outcomes. Because if you think about what you want, almost every time you don't actually have a well-formed version of that you have a loose desire that isn't well examined you're not quite sure about the intention behind it you don't really know what it represents it's just in your awareness this is what you think you want so it would be quite dangerous it is dangerous to go after the things you think you want without examining the Implications of that, the intention, the consequences. So that's a fun thing to do inside the coaching frame. Let's have a look. I don't know. I don't care. Maybe that is what you want. Let's scrutinise it first before you press go on it. So the idea of well well formed outcomes is a, is a great model. It's an NLP frame, and it it takes great lengths to goes to great lengths to examine um, the intention behind the outcome, all the way up to the highest intention, knowing that thing is never about the thing the thing you want it's not about the thing it's about what the thing represents and it's about what that represents and and what you think you can get if you had that and then everything comes with a price so everything has a consequence um, an upside and a downside nothing is free of consequences so in a judgment-free space you can have whatever you want as long as you are fully willing and able to pay all the associated consequences and if you've seen them clearly, then you, you think the upsides outweigh the downsides. So, so let's think about this. So let's have a look at the the subject of changing the date. So uh, for the sake of the exercise, let's imagine um, I'm speaking with a, an Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander advocate for this idea that the date must be changed. Or, yeah, that, that's not confused. I was going to say or... Um, You know a european australian caucasian australian australian who's not aboriginal who is taking up the fight on on the behalf of indigenous australians but that'll confuse us so let's just go with a a, an indigenous australian who is saying what i want is to change the date Uh, cool so first question is um okay and if you had that what does that get you so what what is so important about that what is that represent to you okay well um if the date was changed then that'd be great because then we could get on with living our lives as equals we could move on from the trauma of our past and uh, get on with uh, a society that sees us as equal okay Um, and if you had that well what does that give you Well, that gives us a sense of happiness, a sense of respect, a sense of personal power, a sense of being heard and understood and and valued for who we are. Um, Okay, and if you had that, what does that give you? Well, you know, that's kind of everything. Then that's all we've ever wanted. And if we had that, then, okay, life would be complete. We can move forward. Great. So so what I'm hearing is what you want is for life to feel empowered, uh, for you to feel valued, Significant, and to be able to pursue the life that you desire. Yeah, that's what I want. Okay, great. Um, are you sure that changing the date will get you that? Hmm. Um, I don't know. Well, then let's look at some precedents. Let's let's look at how the game works. Um, in fact, let's have a look at the last attempt. Uh, policy was changed in the country to try and give you this aim to try and get you a sense of harmony respect and significance and and the ability to move forward um kevin 07 kevin rudd national sorry day 2008 uh kevin if you're listening i better apologize for giving you covid uh, two years ago when we were backstage at channel 10 studios think about that day often um, I probably shouldn't have been in the studio at all under the, the uh, guidelines of what was supposed to happen with COVID, but I found a way in, and uh, look, I've, I have, was going to be on TV that day, so I couldn't let that pass, so I'm sorry that I infected you while I was there. Uh, if you're listening, I uh, hope we can let bygones be got bygones and move on. Uh, Kevin Rudd he was the guy who instituted national sorry day he he made an official apology to indigenous australians now here's the fascinating thing about that how well did that work because again the the cry of indigenous australians to be understood to go you guys did some horrible things we've we've suffered some great injustice is anybody going to say anything about that so kevin says yeah look Well, sorry. And let let me read to you exactly what the Sorry Day Apology was about. Um, So he said, "For the I'm sorry for the pain, suffering and hurt of these stolen generations, their descendants, and for the families left behind, we say sorry. To the mothers and the fathers, the brothers and the sisters, for the breaking up of families and communities, we say sorry. So specifically saying sorry for stolen generations. Now, if you've heard me bang on about effective apologies, you'll know that I have a conviction that there's a big difference between saying sorry and and actually cleaning the space. So you know, I'm sure you've felt it when someone says, sorry, like I said, sorry, I said, sorry, I'm sorry. So like, what more do you want from me? And Catherine has this funny tell, by the way, when she says sorry and doesn't mean it and it's a dead giveaway i'm sorry i'm i'm it's this uh she goes in hard with the i'm and it's it's higher pitch than the sorry i'm sorry oh are you okay doesn't really sound like it and so she can you know it's a challenge of being married to someone like me who pays so close attention to language and tone that's what i do all day every day but um i'm sure you'll have your own version of that but here's the thing right Because that, sure, it was nice, great, but did it do anything? Did it actually help anyone get power, progress, respect, a sense of the ability to move on with their lives? I don't know. I I don't think so. Not as far as I can tell. Statistically, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders have a far harder life than their non-Indigenous counterparts in this country prison rates, alcoholism domestic abuse literacy rates, education levels income, statistically it's significantly lower and so the the apology the, the formal apology, did that fix anything? Well, no, not really and look, and here's one of the reasons why, so um, it wasn't an effective apology because the four stages of an apology number one is uh, What's the crime? What are you apologizing for? So so Kevin uh, was not there, didn't actually steal anyone, uh, was not involved in decisions about stealing Aboriginal children from their homes, has no direct connection to that. Um, The vast majority of Australians alive today also have no personal direct connection to that crime. So what are they saying sorry for? That's not the crime. That's actually not an apology that's useful. A sorry, that could actually be useful. And that's the frame we're talking about. What would actually work? What would get you what you actually want, not what you think you want? What's no point tying yourself to a vehicle that's not going to work? So you'd imagine a national sorry should work, but no, that, that is a vehicle incapable of working. The, what is the crime? What, what is the heartache? What's the real crime that that um, a meaningful apology would, would actually touch the sides in, would, would mean something? Um, I'm, I'm not going to speak for Indigenous Australians, but I'd imagine something more along the lines of what I would like white Australians to say sorry for is that this has gone unaddressed for so long. Um, most of you don't even know uh, we've suffered most of you while not being involved and um, have not wanted to be part of understanding How this is a part of our history and so that's felt like you don't care about us That's that's felt like you don't want to understand our pain It's felt like you don't want to understand some of the challenges we've had uh, at the hands of generations who've been before us so um you could apologize for that because you are a part of that you are actively hurting us by not caring so that's a difficult thing so now you're in the game now you've got something that could actually go to cleaning the space Someone saying sorry yeah i said sorry and i wasn't i didn't even do it so i don't even know what i'm saying sorry for but i said sorry i said sorry it's piss off i said sorry like okay great so that's very unlikely to do any good just as are you sure that changing the date would actually lead to harmony, respect, significance, personal power? Moving on. Well, how? how? How does that guarantee anything? Another example, let's look at Welcome to Country. So how is that working? Is that getting you what you think you want? Is that actually bringing respect, harmony, um, trust, significance, empowerment? Oh, n- no not at all because it's clinging to the injustice of the past Uh, this nation was ours is ours and always will be ours well okay um sure that's one way of looking at it uh you got here indigenous australians got here 50,000 years ago so the nation was inhabited before that okay so there was a time before any Indigenous Australians had title claim to this land as well and so to say we always have it well experientially that's not true there are people who've come here most of the people here in Australia didn't choose to be born here does reminding non-Indigenous Australians every time they have an event that they don't live here does that help does that help what does that do for them does that increase their sense of respect or does it make them feel ashamed awkward embarrassed displaced okay well then you're telling me this is yours and not mine and i have to be officially welcomed to your land every time i'm here okay that's weird because you didn't choose to be born here and i didn't choose to be born here you know this is part of the Happened on Australia Day, a dark day in Australian history. So you have a bunch of white Australians who claim that they have more right to be here than, um, you know, mainly Middle Eastern Australians who've come later than them, gone, you know, piss off, we're here first. And so that same sense of entitlement, they didn't choose to be born here, they just found themselves here and they've been here longer than people who've come. More recently, but it's the same kind of thing for the indigenous community to go, well, we were here before you, so therefore um, it's ours, not yours, we have more right than you. Okay, sure. You can think about it like that, but does that actually get you more of what you want? Or does that tie you to a story of injustice? And you know, this this sense of I want to change the date from 26th of Australia because that connects us to a day when Uh, You know, British people came here and settled on a land that wasn't theirs. And that's a great injustice. Yeah, it it was a great injustice. Um, But only 20% of current Australians can tie any genetic heritage back to convicts. Let alone, like the convicts didn't choose. They didn't invade anywhere. They just got lumped here. Um, So the number of actual British people who were invaders, you know, soldiers... Politicians, uh, very very few, and so those current Australians who can claim any sense of connection back there, and, and whether genetic connection equals responsibility or blame is another thing as well. So, so we're talking about three point two percent of current Australians are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. We're talking about twenty percent of current Australians have any kind of connection back to um, the, the origins of the colony. You, you know, what about 75% of other Australians who don't have any connections back there and who like being in Australia so does changing the date do anything of value for anyone really or does does it tie a people who are already disenfranchised to a story of injustice that fills them further entitled to feel hardly done by when of course they were hardly done by and, and they being whatever connection they feel to the past. But, uh, ha, you know, have a look at how the world works. You don't, life doesn't reward, deserve. Just because you deserve justice doesn't mean you get it. Or even when you do get it, it makes your life better. Had it not been the British that came and colonised Australia or s- some other nation would have. The, the way that societies work is that, look at history and you'll see those societies that had developed technology ahead of their uh, others around them well they had more strength and therefore their strength entitled them to take more resources and so they did in every case and so yeah uh, a peace-loving primitive culture minding their own business gets invaded by a culture who's progressing and and Expediating technology would help, which helps them grow and dominate. Okay, that's that's how it's going to happen. Is it fair? No. Is it fun? No. Um, is it inevitable? Yes. Okay, so saying I wish it didn't happen is, is not actually going to help anybody. It's not going to lead to the desired outcome of respect, of harmony, of empowerment, of moving forward. That's That is a vehicle that is not in any way correlated to the real outcome. So, so think about the highest outcome and think about the consequences. So just like the um, you know, welcome to Australia, the, what are the consequences of being entitled to, quote, this country was ours, is ours and always will be Aboriginal land. What are the consequences of that for everybody who doesn't associate with that? So for the um, 96.8% of Australians who go, huh, OK, that's, I'm going to feel weird now. About this country that I've come to call home to. Am I, should I not be proud to be an Australian? Should I feel that I'm here inappropriately? Should I leave? Um, should I always be ashamed? Should I... like what, what, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to feel about that? What are the consequences? So when you think about the intention and the consequences, it helps you then go back and review the outcome. What do you actually want? What do you want? Because are you sure that this thing that you say you want is actually going to get you what you think you want and what you really want? And are you sure that you're fully willing and able to pay all the associated costs? I mean, it's similar in some ways to all all kinds of debate around justice and equity and gender, race, culture, sexuality, all very similar conversations. One, One side is feeling... Like there's a um, great injustice, that they're downtrodden, they're oppressed, and they're fighting for some kind of recognition. So um, <clears throat> my daughter, I've said this a few times, and I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying, she's still very much uh, a feminist. She would call herself a feminist, and she still very much advocates for you know, women's rights and for there to be justice and equity, which is great to be applauded. Um, but when she first really got passionate about that, probably 15, 16, it was very difficult. Our, our relationship, in particular, was very strained because, uh, in her map of the world, a case is being made that that you know white, rich, um, Western males were all that was what's wrong in the world. And the male patriarchy and toxic masculinity and that it was it was men's fault that women were oppressed and so it was time for women to rise up and take men down and so you know i'm sure great men have done terrible things to women over the years yeah i understand that Um, but the challenge for me in my own home was that that rhetoric positioned me as my daughter's enemy because i'm white rich Male, middle-aged, <laughs> Western—all the things that uh, equate to toxic masculinity, apparently. But I was just unprepared to be her enemy. I she would give me her her speech around it, and I would look her in the eyes and say, "I'm I am not what's wrong in the world. I I bring loving energy. I am I bring healing energy. I I do not bear anyone any harm. I only have love in my heart." so i i fit your criteria of what's wrong and therefore uh, you know hear your attack but i will not be attacked and i will not feel unhappy about being a man being being white being wealthy being australian i i will not that's not going to help you and so you know in many ways when I, when i think about the welcome to australia the welcome to country speech that's given it. it's like yeah um, i'm not your enemy I- i'm not your enemy yes I-, I represent some connection to a group of individuals who came to this country a long time ago uh, and just forced their way in and then did some awful things as they established colony i, I get that that happened um, but i am not what's wrong with the world i am not your source of difficulty I am not making your life harder however privileged my life is i am not contributing to your disempowerment all i have is love in my heart all i have is desire for your good so to treat me as your enemy uh, is a strange thing to do and i and i'm fine by the way it's you who's disempowered so i i'll be okay but i'm not sure this is going to get you what you think you want and I think that's the challenge with changing the date. It's like I'm I'm fine, as are the vast majority of privileged Australians. If you want to look at the disparity of resources and um, lifestyle, uh, the privileged will be fine. The disenfranchised will not. Does changing a date help the disenfranchised be more empowered? Well, no, no, it doesn't. How can it? It does not. Not addressing the problem. It's further exacerbating the problem by tying people to a sense of justice that because of what what happened, they are entitled to feel ripped off. Anyone, everyone could make some kind of case for that, and you are entitled to. That's the trick of the game of life. Every single person has every right to play the victim card, but it's a trap. As soon as you do, the moment you play it, you lose. You've got to go sit on the bench. You can't play the game anymore. You have no leverage in the game, no play, no say, no chance to win. It's just, it gets worse from there. So yeah, no one can say you can't be a victim. No one can say that didn't happen. You shouldn't feel upset. Oh, it did happen. And yeah, you can feel upset. Great. Is it going to get you what you want? It can't. It, it's it's impossible. So it would be a strange thing to fight for victimhood for any for any person, no matter whether your fight is around changing the date of Australia Day, whether your fight is around gender equality, uh, sexual equality, uh, whatever version of of your fight. Um, Is it going to help? Is it actually going to help? If it is, happy days. If it's not, well, then find a better way. Now, if I was to change hats for a minute and put on... Imagine I was the Prime Minister... So to give a, a leadership directive around this, which is a useful frame to consider, because someone's got to solve this problem. Someone's, someone's got to make a decision. Someone, you know, just like Kevin and his party in 2008, decided, right, well, what we're going to do is make a formal apology. This is how it's going to be. And that's our attempt at fixing this. So current politicians are under increasing pressure to make a decision. What are we doing? Um, and it's escalating. It's becoming more and more of an issue. What's happening with this date? Are we keeping it or are we changing it? Can someone tell us what to do? And the average person, whatever their convictions, whether they choose to celebrate it or not, doesn't have the ability to change the date or keep it. So if I was Anthony right right, you bloody dickheads, listen up. I oh, don't worry, dickheads is a term of endearment. If you're not Australian, that's a, that's a loving thing to say everyone just settle down a bit all right this has got it out of hand so look everyone's a bit upset about this date here's what's going to happen not many of you have chosen to actually be australian and yet you are whenever you arrived here whether you think it was fair that you got here whether you think it was unfair that somebody else got here whether you think being here longer than someone else entitles you to more than they have got or not You are here, they are here, we are here, we're living in one of, if not the most magnificent countries in the world, the lucky country. Here's what's going to happen, we're going to pull together, each of you are going to contribute to a meaningful society, each of you are going to take responsibility for your own life, irrespective of what's happened in the past, not to dismiss, there has not been injustice. But everyone can point to a reason why it's too hard for them to contribute. Every single Australian could have a just reason as to why some injustice, hardship has happened to them, which is a reason why they do not have to contribute, why they do not have to behave, why they are entitled to be a victim. And that's not going to work. Because that's not how the world works. Life does not reward deserve. It rewards desire. So what do you want and what are you prepared to do about it? Let's do it together. Settle down. Happy Australia Day. Let's carry on.